like with anything, when you're putting yourself out there in inverted commas, you need to have an element of confidence and self-esteem about who you are. The people I see um, burn out or most affected by the building a personal brand are the people who spend too long in someone else's shoes, who spend too long um, pretending to be something online that they're not in real life. A wise man once said, A wise man once said, The best way to predict the future is to create it. about to experience a next level show. Scientists, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, you're listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Future of Humanity podcast. If we haven't met yet, I'm so glad that you have joined us. I am your host, Carl Taylor, and I have the privilege of bringing into your ears some of the most incredible people on the planet. And today's episode is another discussion episode. Rather than a straight interview, this is going to be far more collaborative. And this is because we're joined by a friend of mine, James Kemp. Now, James is originally from New Zealand. However, he's really more of a global citizen of the world, traveling the world with his family and running his business from anywhere. Now, the reason I brought James on the show is he and I have had some interesting discussions around the future of organizations and companies, and I thought that you may like to listen in as we have this discussion. So, a bit about James. James has a single goal, to make your business better than before you met him. He's helped professionals, service businesses, media companies, NGOs, and startups to build growth systems that grow sales and increase revenues across seven countries over the last 11 years. He's also spent $20 million on marketing to grow his own business as well as other people's. In a fast-moving digital world, more importantly, he shows businesses how to translate their impact and talents from the old model into this new model and become the default choice in their market. And that's really important because if you're listening going, well, I'm not a business owner, please do not go anywhere because we are not talking to entrepreneurs and business owners today about how to grow your business. That's not what today's episode's about. There's plenty of other podcasts that can discuss that and James definitely could help you with that. However, we are all about the future and today we have a message that I believe everyone needs to hear. If you're a student, if you're an employee, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a manager, Whatever it is, however you define yourself or label yourself, we are discussing the trends and changes that we are seeing in the world of employers and businesses and how we believe that may affect you and your ability to earn an income. So, I don't want to say much more than that. Let's just welcome James to the show. So, welcome, James. So excited to have you join us. And we were just talking about before we hit record about what is our agenda for this discussion. This is another great discussion. And we're saying it's kind of like the future of the gray, the future of the blurry lines. You have some very interesting stories yourself to tell and very interesting perspectives and thoughts about where these intersecting lines align between jobs and projects. Definitely, you and I, as both as entrepreneurs, you can relate to the blurring line of work and life. Welcome. I'm so excited. Maybe tell us a quick snapshot of where you think the biggest blurring of line is happening right now in the world. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. Um, great to be here as well. Um, the biggest blurry line, I believe, is between what we used to define as a job um, and what we used to define as a personal life. I think 
with the rise of, say, the personal brand, you know, and something that I've built the my business off the back of, I think it's increasingly um, hard to work out where the person stops and the business starts. And I think that's both for the individual, um, and it's something that I, I, you know, admittedly grapple with myself sometimes. Um, and I also think it's very difficult for kind of the market. You know, the the rise of the celebrity means that I think lots of people think they can live inside someone else's life. We live in a pretty transparent time, and I, I just I think it's very blurry between um, the line between work and the line between family and play nowadays. Um, and some of us are taking advantage of it, and others are, I think, struggling with it. I really see that intersection as, as something super fascinating and as a as a trend as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, as you say, like the, the rise of the influencers, the Instagram influencers. I mean, there are kids now who are still teenagers who are raking in huge lucrative contracts just through their Instagrams. And that's definitely a, a trend that I see continuing in the world of, of business. And, and what's interesting for me is that my early mentors and as I grew up and my views on business, a true business is something that could work without you. If you wanted to build a business that was saleable, you didn't want to have your personal brand to attach to that business because how if you sell it, then you're kind of going to be looped into that business as well. So it's, it's very interesting in the small business space. I mean, maybe if you're on the big end of town, like, Elon Musk and Richard Branson. Well, your personal brand, if they sell Virgin, then you know, you're not expecting Richard Branson to be there. They'll just kind of wheel him out every now and then. But on a small business space, that's definitely an issue. We've just talked about business. What about in in say the corporate world or the people with jobs? What do you think about that? Well, I think the 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 people with jobs are now they've got the opportunity to I'll bring it back to the influencer frame that you've just, just set out there. But it used to be your side hustle, you know, if you had a job, you'd um you get a side hustle and you make a few dollars on the side, you know, maybe selling something at a market or, you know, some kids had a paper round or for extra income, you know, people who wanted to bolster their income can work in a bar at night or or whatever it was in the in, in the old economy. And that still happens. But now as an influencer, the side hustle can now be a million dollar side hustle. Is that still a hustle or is it now a job? <laughs> so mm. I think again the the definitions of these things have got I've got super blurred because of money and because of the scope that an influencer can can have. And fundamentally, they're getting paid to be themselves. The business model is is turning up and you know making yourself look good and um, and being yourself. I think the the definition hasn't changed. It's just the exponential wealth generation of of the channels that the connectivity, the social social media, and the web have created have meant that the old the old version of the paper round or the or the part time job to earn some extra money. Can now become the full-time gig very quickly, and then become become the main thing. I think it's largely a, pro- a product of exponentialism. And if I look at myself again, you know, a five-person business that that turns over, you know, mid seven figures with the team fully remote, me traveling with my family in multiple locations, um, you know, bringing in experts and and other people in. It's super fascinating to to see what we can actually, how big we can build something with a, with a minimum number of people. And we've seen that in the, in the corporate space as well as they're building, they're building smaller teams within teams, you know, going agile um, and bringing in expertise and, and, you know, some of those people are part of an organization and other, other, other are from outside organizations. So I think that trend is actually coming into the corporate fold where the teams are getting smaller and organizations are consciously getting smaller um, with, 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 with a, a lower number of people. Is that what you're referring to? You use the word exponentialism before. Uh, define that for us. Our increased ability to earn a higher effective hourly rate. 
through <laughs> through amplification and digitization. And the previous life, you know, as a coach and consultant, someone who, who helps people, you know, change their business, the previous life it would have required me to sit down with someone, you know, face to face and deliver that, deliver that, um, you know, one to one, and I'd be limited by my potential earnings and output from that. Um, now I can do that with twenty or thirty or fifty or a hundred people through the rise of the internet. So it just allows me to leverage myself and my time um, in, a, in a much greater factor. Just like an influencer um, previously would be a local singer in a band or, or, or some some kind of performer um, could stand up in front of fifty people, and now they can stand up in front of a million using the the power of the internet. One of the things that I, I wonder about here is we in a previous episode we were speaking with an expert on Generation Z. And Gen Z in particular, uh, they're the generation below us who have grown up connected to Wi-Fi from day one. And they just are so hyper-connected. And they're these, these kids that are earning big dollars on Instagram and, and Snapchat and all of that. And one of the things that she mentioned is that a lot of them are feeling a lot of pressure and to, to document their life in the social media world to I don't know whether they're pursuing building this brand or, or whether it's just feels like life to them. But she was saying that they were conscious of how it was affecting them mentally. So I'm curious when, when we talk about this idea of, of putting ourselves out there and building that, that brand and building ourselves, amplifying our, our audience and really building that, building us, I suppose it's amplifying us and putting it out there. Do you think that? There's a right way and a wrong way of doing it that can affect your mental health, or do you think you know? Is it all going to affect your mental health? Like, what are your thoughts there? Because I know you work with a lot of people helping them build their brands. So, how does that? Do you see there's a right and wrong way to doing it that can be negative, positive? What's what's your thoughts there? I think there can be a right and wrong way for the individual if it's not their way. Like with anything, when you're putting yourself out there uh, in inverted commas, you need to have an element of confidence and self-esteem about who you are. A lot of people, but the people I see um, burn out or, or, or most affected by the, um, the building a personal brand are the people who, st- who, who spend too long in someone else's shoes, who spend too long um, pretending to be something online that they're not in real life. I think that the right way is the way of, of the individual turning up and sharing and saying and documenting the things that they're comfortable with and the things that are real rather than having to live up to someone else's ideal. That's the key distinction I see and the key distinction I make as well. And it's something I consciously pay attention to myself. And I've got some insight into that because, you know, I, I work with professionals. You know, I work with very sophisticated business owners who've, have, you know, their wives have seen a lot. And, you know, when I first started out going after that market, I turned up and I was trying to be someone I wasn't. You know, I was wearing collared shirts and I was... Um, occasionally putting a suit jacket on, and I was talking with very precise language. It wasn't till I really turned up to be myself, which is, you know, frankly, I'm a Kiwi who loves beaches and, you know, loves the sunshine. I'm a guy who wears uh, thongs, as you call them, and, you know, t-shirts and, and shorts. And as soon as I was, I, I was that, I, I both felt more liberated, but also people had a great, a better connection with me because they could see I was being real rather than a character that I thought I had to be because of some element of professionalism. 
I think that's really important. And uh, just for our Americans listening, when he says thongs, he's talking about <laughs> flip-flops. He's not talking about underwear. Just to Let's make that get, clear for you. real clear on that one. <laughs> In Australia, <laughs> we call them thongs. Um, but, yeah, look, I think that's really important that you've brought that up because I think, and even for myself, you know, one of my businesses uh, many years ago when I was doing a lot of coaching, I was teaching people about buying and selling businesses. And, you know, I would wear these suits I would wear these expensive jewelry. The, the reality is that I, that I bought just to, you know, when I was at those seminars. And I hit a point of going, this is not me. Like I'm being someone I'm not. I, I don't give a crap about fancy cars, fancy jewelry. You know, I, I don't want to look rich. I just want to be happy and financially free. And, and it was at that point that I decided to, to kind of quit what I was doing and realizing that I was going down a path of trying to build this persona that was not me. You know, yes, I'd bought and sold businesses, but the way I was going about it and the way I never actually said anything that wasn't true, but there were people making assumptions based on this persona I was creating that then was, it was just inauthentic and it didn't sit well with me. And uh, I think it's really important. And I look online sometimes at a bunch of people that I personally know and I look at how they present themselves online. And it's not, in my mind, it's not a clear connection. Right, it's not really them, and, and so if you're doing that, like, what what were the situations? What kind of situations did that put you in when you were doing that? Uh, you were pretending to be someone you're not. Was it just not working? Did it ever get you into sticky situations? Like, what what's your experience of being not your true, authentic self online? I don't think it ever got me into sticky situations because I wasn't um, I wasn't being untrue. Just like you know, just as you referred to, I was just being slightly inauthentic. In my, in my presentation and authenticity is a word that I'm, I kind of d- dislike at the moment because it's bandied around and all the social media circles just turn up be authentic and vulnerable and all these like, kind of things but you have to be yourself you know you have to have a clear idea of um, of who you are um, before you, you put yourself out there and you know I do I do observe that larger companies are getting this too you know, there is a, a, a democratization of, um, say, dress codes and a democratization of, you know, device use and social media, where, where large organizations are also letting people be individuals, you know, within the auspices of a company as well, which I think is extremely healthy rather than everybody having to tow the corporate party line, um, per se. I hope it's a growing trend that we're understanding that the downsides of pretending to be someone you're not online over the long term outweigh the uh, of the benefits of just being online and being out there and being in front of a lot of people. And, and so, I mean, bring it back to you were talking about before this kind of changing face of business. And so we've talked about this, this the rise of the celebrity and the, the personal brand and, and the blurring of that line. But what about some of the other lines that are blurring in business? I know uh, previously we've spoken about, you know, the line being blurred between employee and business owner. So let's talk a bit about that. I think as a business owner, increasingly I I bring in outside I, I, I think I, I bring in outside expertise that we don't currently possess. But I don't I, I I less and less have the expectation that that person is an employee. I see it, you know, as delivering on something and the timeline and the remuneration and the rewards for that um, are variable based on the thing I need them to do. You know, for example, if we need some some things, um, some copywriting done. We bring in a copywriter for a specific project, but we don't need one full time. So I, I think this kind of, you know, our, our old definitions used to be full time and part time. Now, I, now I see more definitions being around specific projects 
where even whole businesses come together and then disband based on the timeline of projects. And some people might be remunerated through equity and other people might be remunerated through, you know, payments and cash and, and the traditional way. Again, I think the, um, the lines of, are increasingly blurry. And I know a lot of my friends and contemporaries, um, from my old corporate days who are still, you know, in large organizations and mainly in Australasia and, um, and some in Europe, you know, increasingly they are turning up as, you know, senior job titles, you know, um, C, C-suite job titles of vice presidents. Um, but they're actually contractors and they're actually working for themselves and they're actually involved in multiple projects. I see the trends in small business where we're very agile and we can rapidly expand and contract our team size and our, um, and our capabilities. I see that, that marching up the chain to organizations where they're just using the, the right expertise at the right time and they're flexible on the remuneration and how someone's rewarded for that, for that expertise. I completely agree with you. My, my partner, um, you know, she works. You know, I would call it an employee, but she's a contractor. You know, she gets assigned a fixed contract for a particular project. She works on, on films and TV and things. And so when that contract's up, she's essentially looking for new work again and uh, looking for a new contract to start all over. And I know that's very standard in, in the creative space. It has been for a long time, but we are seeing that trend. And I think it's a broader trend too of not just on the employee side, but entire businesses looking at I kind of like what you said about the word exponentialism because we look at these businesses like Airbnb, who are one of the largest hotel chains, if you want to define it that way, without owning a single hotel. Uber, fleet of cars without owning a single car, although that's probably not true because they've probably got some self-driving cars that they do own. But, you know, like there's this, this rise of these kind of middlemans, if you like. And I know we have previously had discussions around the futures of what you think organizations, big businesses, small businesses are going to look like. Like you think that what we might end up to, if we project into the future, we could end up in a world where do you think that employees will exist at all? Or do you think we're moving to a world where everyone will essentially be their own business, whether they know it or define it that way or not? The definition of employee will will morph and change dramatically over time. And, you know, Traditionally, an employee was just remunerated with money and maybe some benefits and occasionally some equity. And I think, again, that spectrum will, will start to expand. I believe that large organizations will, in a fast-moving world, the larger you are, the more humans you have, the less efficient you are. And that's an unfortunate fact of life that the more, the more complexity you have in an organization, the slower and less agile it is. And in a world that's very fast-moving, um, and we need to rapidly respond to market trends to, you know, the customer centricity of, of the way we need to trade means that I believe organizations will get functionally smaller. And, you know, our large organizations will actually just be made up as a series of teams. Um, and within those teams, there'll be a mixture of what we traditionally call an employee, contractors or equity partners or other things that have skin in the game on, on, on that particular project or, or the wider organization. So I think we're just going to see a further fragmentation of the traditional job and the lines will increasingly get blurry between those. Yeah, so that's interesting. I mean, you're not wrong that the more team members you add, the more complexity comes. I mean, I face that personally in in my business. I've got a team of 30-something right now. And yeah, like the speed at which we can move and implement new things in the beginning... Uh, if you're an entrepreneur listening you, and you're in startup mode, you'll remember or maybe you're living the world of have an idea and tomorrow it's implemented. And then as you add more people into your organization, 
uh, whether they're employees, whether they're contractors, whether they're freelancers, whatever the actual mechanics of how it's put together, the reality is the more people you add to it, the slower it all becomes. I can still have that idea and be like, yeah, I want to implement it tomorrow. But the reality is all of a sudden, you know, training materials have to be created, you know, got to go down the get feedback from everyone, make sure everyone's ready to roll it out, set out a date of when we're going to aim for. It's no longer the small speed of implementation. And obviously, that's why we're seeing a huge rise of startups because they're able to move faster than the big incumbents. So I 100% agree with what you're saying there. I do wonder though, I mean, if I look at the clients that we have at Automation Agency, you know, there are a lot of businesses who come to us. And one of the things that they come to us is because they don't want to employ and build their own teams. And the reality is for us to continue to serve more and more clients, we have to keep building our team. So <laughs> while while they may not want to build their team and it's moving them more to this this model you're talking about, I, I wonder whether there'll be businesses like mine and others where their model will still very much be a a more, you know, not quite employee-based, but far more of the, the more traditional uh, style thing. Although, granted, we are talking about, you know, I, my team are distributed all around the world sure. and, and our contractors themselves. So I suppose in that way, they are their own separate business, even though they're coming on board and, and working with us. They also have other clients that they're working with as well. Yeah, I think I think the someone has to deal with complexity, and at the moment, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, while they can deal with highly complex tasks, especially when we're talking about the creativity and and nuance sometimes that we have to deliver, that the, a, a person still does the better job. You know, I'm not a full believer in you know that we're all going to be replaced by robots within five years. The truth, the truth probably lies somewhere in between, but someone has to deal with complexity. And if you look at, say, the, um, the advertising and, and marketing ecosystem, you know, the, the traditional creative agency is now being replaced by the full service big four agency. You know, some re- recent stats and ad age showed, uh, that total revenue in the, in the, in the large ad agencies in the US last year declined by 4%. Yet, um, total revenue of, of digital services and creative services from, uh, companies like Accenture, PwC, Deloitte, etc., had risen by 16%. I think people are increasingly looking for generalist specialist capabilities where someone can deliver both on the creativity, but also in terms of the implementation, the output. And still someone needs to deal with the complexity. It's interesting that many businesses are coming to you because they don't want to get bigger because they've maybe recognized that the bigger you get, the less efficient you get, um, you can, but also a specialist agency such as yours can do it. You know, in a per unit cost to a much higher standard than someone can do it themselves. You are going to be faster, cheaper, more efficient, and ultimately more effective at what you do than them bringing an in-house person, training them up, um, and actually trying to bring that capability in-house plus the added complexity and cost of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Someone still needs to deal with the complexity, and you know, I think Accenture, for example, have one hundred and sixty thousand people, um, you know, across India and the subcontinent. You know, doing digital services and delivery, but probably those jobs were, you know, off- offshore to take them from somewhere else. Definitely looking at the numbers around, you know, advertising and marketing um, and the creative agencies, they're taking the business from somewhere. Yeah. And it, it gets me thinking about, well, maybe the world what we're going to see in the future is almost like there'll be a lot of smaller teams, as you're talking about, with this trend of, of being able to create more with smaller teams, u- utilizing technology in a blend of these kind of ad hoc, more project-based or shorter-term outcome-based team members that you bring on. 
But I wonder, is it going to see a, a continued rise of organizations like mine and others where it's kind of like almost a bit like how we have electricity, you just plug into electricity that you can kind of plug in to these other companies to get the, the skills you need. I mean, even Amazon, they have their mechanical turf, which is basically, uh, this is what they were doing before AI was as good as it is, and it still exists, where you can plug into mechanical turf and it's essentially people from all around the world doing these little tasks for a couple of dollars, really. And it was a way of giving software app developers the power of AI to, you know, someone uploaded an image, it could create a task for someone who's a part of Mechanical Turk to read it and define it and kind of tag it. Now, AI can completely do that. There's no need for humans to do a task like that is kind of this back end of delivery of, of skills and people. So maybe we'll see these small pods of organizations, but then they're connected into these bigger providers, if you like, of specialized skills. Yeah, I, I believe so. I think, um, again, if we look at the, uh, the statistics, you know, the number of one man million dollar plus turnover businesses, one man or woman, but, uh, has, has risen dramatically over the last five years purely because of the capability of, you know, someone such as myself. And I, you know, I built, quite a large business on my own before I realized that I needed to scale it with, with people and better systems as well. We can plug into the, we can plug in and get services from a multitude of places um, that we need previously need to do in-house. And, and you've done that with, with your clients as well, right? Like you, you've worked with a number yeah. of people who are, who are kind of small, are they one man bands or like, and then you've, you've been able to thing you said, I think you shrunk their business while growing it. <laughs> so one of my, um, one of my clients is in, um, is a full service email marketing agency. Um, and they, they tended to work with, um, you know, mid to large retailers, um, who had, you know, multiple SKUs, uh, multiple retail locations in an online store. And their service has really evolved to the point where they can now serve anyone from any point in the market to a small Shopify store all the way up to, you know, a full complex bespoke e-commerce um, integration. And he's actually shrunk his team by 50%. They are all now wow. distributed through leveraging good systems and, and, and efficiency of communication and also streamlining the way they deliver their service in terms of delivering less services, less possible services to more people. You know, he's shrunk his product mm. offering from 15 to 2 um, you know, core things they're doing, they are now, they've grown their revenue, but they've grown profitability exponentially as well. So they're just a generally more efficient unit able to work with more customers over a wider spectrum while having half the number of people within the business just by, you know, efficient use of people communications and systems. And also the business owner has, in this case, decided that running a distributed team and not having an office in the overhead was both a good thing for his business, but also gave him more flexibility in, in, in his life. Um, you know, mm -hmm. he, could, he had the option to work from home and work from overseas and, and live a little bit more location independent as well. It's the old saying, right? That simplify to scale. The, it, we've talked about it already. Complexity creates chaos, creates slowness. Um, if you really want to scale, you, you need to simplify. It does bring up an interesting thing though, that I, I do wonder personally about the obsession in the entrepreneur market of scaling. And not just in the entrepreneurial market, I feel like it's even moving into the bigger uh, business market too. Everyone's so obsessed in general about more, more, more. It's, it's kind of part of our societal structure. While we're saying, while we're saying, well, we can create more money with less people on the flip side of that, that means there's less jobs. Uh, in those organizations, which then has to fuel more people to become entrepreneurial. And I don't know about you, but 
for a long time, I used to believe that everyone could be an entrepreneur. I, I believe that everyone should and could be an entrepreneur. And over time, my thoughts on that have shifted. And I, I no longer believe that everyone... I believe everyone should try building their own business. Um, but I, I no longer believe that every single person has what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. What are your thoughts there? Of, okay, we've talked about all the benefits to the business owner, which makes a lot of sense. We're both business owners and you work a lot with business owners. For the people who might be listening going, well, that all sounds great, but you know, they're an employee. They've always been an employee. The thought of running their own business is not great. And th- this trend worries them. What would you say to that? My take on, on the entrepreneur, the core driver of an entrepreneur is significance and creativity. And the core driver of an artist is usually significance and creativity. <laughs> they want their work to be recognized um, and they want to make things that manifest in the world. So my take on an entrepreneur is that they're, no, they're cut from the same cloth as, as any other creative or any other artist. Entrepreneurs just like making things. And I fell into this trap where, as you say, into the scale, scale, scale trap where you know my peer group and the people around me were always talking about how fast their business was growing and the metric was was money. But as an entrepreneur, I like making things. I like creating things and then other people operational, <laughs> operationalizing those and actually helping me take those things and bring them to life. You know, the delivery and the follow-through has never been my my strong point. The the ideas and the and the commercialization, the manifestation of the of those ideas into a business has always been my strong point. So I'm one of those people I'd rather, if I set out with a goal of making $5 million, I would rather have five businesses making a million dollars each than one business that I was trying to scale that was making $5 million. Couldn't agree with you more. 100%. Yeah, I think I, I like making things as an entrepreneur. It just happens that my creativity manifests in the form of a business and I'm rewarded for that in the form of money, whereas an artist is um, manifest in the form of of their art, and they're rewarded with recognition and feedback, and um, and all the other and all the other things that are that are that are intangible. That's my view on those things. I think I I, the, I often see, you know, one of the things that I work on with my clients closely is making sure they're not too much in the in the scale and the status quo and the BA business as usual side of a business. That we've all got a, always got a small, fun, innovative project working on the side that there's something that they can create and have their hands on and they can make that might turn into a business opportunity one day, but it's still something that drives them creatively, um, but they don't feel guilty for neglecting their business when they spend time on it. And do you believe that every person... I mean, we, we talked about entrepreneurs being very similar to artists and creators, and I agree with that. The question is, do you believe that everyone out there, every man, woman, and child on the planet is creative by nature? and able to, you know, we, we talk about this world moving towards where you're now, you know, take it from a employment point of view. We, we previously had Fiona Anson on talking about the future of work and how, yes, we are already seeing the trends of people moving towards um, more casual work and all these things, which are kind of great for us as the business owner. But for on the flip side, if you're the employee, this is less security, less all the things that us as entrepreneurs have had most of our life, right? We, sure. When you start a business, there's no security and we thrive off that. I think that's why we succeed because we thrive off that. But there are a lot of people that that is overwhelming, stressful, and they're just not capable of coping. So I do wonder if, if this trend continues, will this create a split in class of the people who can succeed in this more uh, siloed, running your own show world? versus others? Or do you think it's everyone is able to step up and ultimately 
have a role to play and have that security and and financial stability and and live the life that they enjoy. I would like to believe that everybody can, but unfortunately, I don't. I don't believe the world is going to get more equal. I unfortunately believe the world is going to get less equal because mm-hmm. in a in a fast paced high cadence and rapidly changing society, you know, is chaotic. And from the very us debating the semantics of what to call an employee or a, or a, or an entrepreneur, you know, is one of the smaller problems, right? In a high cadence and, and rapidly changing society, many people can't sit in the chaos of, of the speed of change um, because they need a defined path. They need to know what is happening tomorrow. And, you know, w- we really just don't. I do believe that everybody has creativity in them. Um, and as, you know, a parent of two young children, I see that creativity, you know, manifest every single day with it, you know, the creativity of play. There's a base creativity, but I think the, Potentially the, the journey that many people have been on, you know, in terms of the, the, the job, um, has potentially removed their, um, confidence around exhibiting their own creativity because they've been told what to do in a relatively narrow channel and, and tried to fit into a job title. So while I believe everybody has creativity in them somewhere, I can definitely see how, how lots of people don't have the confidence to, and the, Maybe the self-esteem to, to manifest that creativity in the form of entrepreneurship or the form of um, something that you know um, earns a crust. But I don't believe the world's going to get more equal because the people who can sit in chaos and and be agile and ride with the times um, are the ones who are currently winning. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I remember growing up, I was I was the one that stood out in my family. It was not something that was looked at. Um, fondly that I was an entrepreneur. I mean, um, I think I'm a bit younger than you, James, but you know, I started my first business when I was 15, continued kind of on that journey. And for a long time, it was not cool to be an entrepreneur at 15 when I was being a business owner, right? Even at 20, I was, I was friends with people who were in their sixties because no one else my age was really doing business. It's a very different world we live in today where there's, uh, kids as young as 10 making millions of dollars. It's good to see that the younger generation are probably being set up. A lot of them are getting set up with the skills, but I do look at it like, you know, I am very thankful that I went the journey I'm on because I think I have more of the skills because of the journey I've been on to ride this chaos that, that is coming. Uh, and we're already in with, with the fast changing world. And I do look at others that I, I went to school with or even in my more immediate and extended family. And I, I do wonder how, uh, well that they're going to cope with it. You know, that's concerning, I think. And I'm sure others listening, if that's you, you're possibly, maybe you, this is the first time you're hearing about it. And now you're, you're worried. I would say don't stress out. The opportunity is there for you to learn to be okay with what would the word be, James? How would you describe it? Be okay with what? I think it's chaos. Uh, I just think there's, there's so much going on. And there's so, um, so many things that are, are, are poorly defined or, or ill defined now. I do think it's chaotic. I was 38 last week and I, there are many people of my age group and my generation who feel very frustrated. And I speak to these people quite regularly. They followed the rules. You know, they, they got the, they got the qualifications. They got the university degree and they got the job title and they got, um, you know, a level of status, which said, you know, I'm a professional and they go out there and they, they, they want to trade on experience and they want to trade on credibility and time in the market. And the market's not listening anymore. Because someone cooler, younger, um, and more hipper and agile has come along and said, well, 
you know, these people are the dinosaurs and I'm, I'm the new generation and, and I'm climbing the market seen as a bad thing. It's like, oh, you're old. You're, you're doing all the old stuff. Yeah. So there's this palpable sense of frustration. You know, people I speak to regularly who feel that they should be able to, that, that they followed the rules and they feel that they should be able to trade on the, on the, on the equity they've built up, the experience, the skills, the knowledge and those things. Um, and that's just not the case. But the wonderful thing is they have experience, skills and knowledge. So if they've got, if they've got a willingness to adapt that, then they can be better than the guys who have just come, who have just arrived, um, and are brand new on the scene. So it's, it's a willingness to, to adapt and, and be a bit of an empty vessel and modify yourself around the market because we're so customer centric these days. Every organization is talking about being about customer centricity. You know, the customers are the center of the, of the universe and, and those things. So as a professional or a business, we need to adapt very quickly to whatever the market wants and speak the language of the market um, and use those skills and experience to do it. Otherwise, we're not willing to adapt. Then the, the market will listen to the, the latest and greatest and the, and the, and the shiniest um, promises rather than the, maybe the necessary, the experience and the steady hand. I think the biggest benefit, if you're listening right now and you are you know, in your late 30s, moving into your 40s or older, and you are one of these people who, who look at the future of, of your work and, and if you're not already an entrepreneur or you're not someone who's feeling that confident, one thing I would say to you, and I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk is someone who says that, you know, if you're, if you're 40 thinking you can't do it, like you're probably only like a third of your life because our lives are being living longer. And uh, it's even said that if, if we can live for the next 10 years, chances are we'll, we'll, the average age will then become about 150 years old. So that's how fast some of these technologies in longevity are coming. So if you're 40 thinking like, oh, my life's over, if you can last till you're 50, then chances are you've still got another 100 years of life ahead of you if you choose to uh, take on the technologies and options that are going to come to us. So that's exciting. And the thing that you have over the 20-year-olds and if you haven't already listened to it, please go back and listen to the episode about Gen Z. But the thing you have is the market is all about talking to the market, right? It, at the end of the day, it's adapting to give the consumers and customers what they want. You actually are prepared to pick up the phone and talk to someone. You're prepared to sit, sit with someone face-to-face and have a conversation with them. And you can do it well. So you have that plus you have years of experience. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff you have to unlearn. But you have years of experience. and I think that if you look at what those opportunities are, that yes, you might be competing with the the 20-year-olds and younger. Don't try and compete with them on the tech. If you're not a techie and that doesn't come naturally, don't worry about that. Leverage them. Use them as part of your team. But do what you can do really well. That's my piece of advice. If you're sitting there and you're freaking out a bit, I wanted to share that. James, do you have anything you'd like to add to those people while we're talking to them right now? No, I 100% endorse what, what you're saying. I think, you know, when you've been inside a market, a market you understand it better than anyone else, than, than someone coming in from the outside. So a willingness to change and adapt to the things you already know and see is, is the greatest strength because the skills, the experience and those things just, you know, they're embedded. They're in the subconscious. Um, they're the things that turn up and, and, you know, give your clients and your market or whoever you work with the results that you promise them. It's not a handicap not knowing the tech. It's not a, a handicap not knowing how to, you know, run a Facebook ad or launch a funnel or send an email or, you know, build an automation or any of the things that you hear bandied around. If people start with the, the core principles, the market of, of humans, of um, persuasion, um, of understanding what, what delivers results, then, and stick with those, then the, the tech and, and all those things come very easily. And it's, um, 
there is no real replacement for experience, but we've got to be willing to adapt our approach. And that's all. And those soft skills uh, talked about in a previous episode, those soft skills of being able to have that human engagement is actually probably what's going to be in demand more and more as robotics and automation come in and they'll take over different jobs that um, some of these smart people, even people like me, our jobs and part of what we do will be replaced by machines that can do it themselves. The part that's really going to help you stand out is those soft skills. So if you have people skills, you are in, a, you're going to have a lot of opportunities if you know where to look and you're out there looking for them. So please don't feel insecure about the future of work based on some of the things we've talked about. Feel excited. And if you're listening going, hey, I was not feeling concerned. This is exciting to me. Then awesome. I'm so, I'm so glad for that. James, let's kind of talk a little bit about what else can people do today to protect or, you know, if they're entrepreneurs, there's a number of entrepreneurs who listen to this. So we've sp- just spoken to some of the um, more the employees and traditional workers who are maybe been freaking out or not freaking out. Let's talk to the entrepreneurs. What would you be saying? What are you saying to your own clients right now to help them prepare for what's coming? Look at who's making the, the wake that you can surf in. And one of the concepts that, that I regularly talk to about my clients is drafting, you know, and in, in, in racing, um, when a, when a race car goes down a, a track, it creates a pocket of air behind it, which re- decreases wind resistance. So if another car drops in behind it, it can get a small speed boost and follow along and then eventually overtake. Many of these exponential changes around, you know, technology and, um, and many other things are creating pockets of, of air that people can jump into and take advantage from. For example, one of my clients who's, um, who's based in Melbourne, um, he is an accountant. And he qualified as an accountant and was getting more and more frustrated with his ability to get high-paying clients. He highlighted a, a problem that had been would come around with a, as companies moved their accounting systems into the clouds. So that think MYOB and Zero um, and these trends towards moving your accounting system into the cloud. The accounting system in the cloud had created yet another system and created yet other problems that weren't there before when you had traditional accounting and ledgers and, and, and those kind of things. So he now exclusively works with um, people who have a high volume of transactions, so um, such as you know restaurants and bars and, um, and hotels who have a high volume of cash transactions um, and we're spending a lot of time uh, entering those transactions and reconciling them into um, their new cloud accounting systems. So he has um, he's run a business that now automates those functions. He is essentially replacing the accounting and bookkeeping function within these businesses. So he's pivoted his you know his his soft skills um, and his real hard skills in, in terms of accounting to draft behind a, a technology platform that is created was there to make one efficiency and and while it delivered some efficiencies, it's created other inefficiencies um, and built a very very successful business around it. So I think for you know. In most cases, if we're flexible about how we approach and view the market, then there are, there are the exponentialism and the growth of technology actually creates opportunities everywhere if we're paying attention to where those opportunities are. I love that term, drafting. I'd never heard that uh, put that way before. And as you're explaining it, I'm like, well, that's 100% what I did um, while building automation agency. That's very much um, drafted behind many technologies and, and trends. That's fantastic advice. So look, let's wrap up. It's been a fantastic conversation. My final question to you is, you've already mentioned that you don't think it's going to become a more equal world. But in general, when you think about the future of humanity moving forward, where do you see us going? Do you think it's going to be constructive and and great utopian world or somewhere in the middle? Or are we headed towards destruction? What's what's your thoughts? I think 
we will revert to type in many cases. If we feel threatened, then we will lash out. I think that, you know, as someone, as a citizen of two countries and as someone who's currently in another one um, and has a business in another one, the concept of the nation state is kind of breaking down a little bit. Um, in terms of where we're located, you know, where we have taxation, where we have employment and, and those kind of things. So I think increasingly we'll, there'll be more people like me who are more citizens of the world where we, you know, we are flexible on our location. We're flexible on the currencies we trade in. We're flexible on, you know, in some cases where we, where we reside and even, and even pay tax. Um, and that will cause, that will cause, I think, conflict. Um, because, you know, the traditional, Revenue raising methods of governments and those kind of things start to start to fall down. And I think while some people will be, be able to create a utopian future where they're flexible and all those things, others will be punished by that um, because governments and, and other organizations will look to raise revenue from them. So I think we'll just see a fragmentation of, of identity and nationalism and, and these things to, to have people who are, you know, flexible in their and their location, their their earnings, and those things, whereas others um, are trapped by by increasingly desperate systems who are looking to raise raise money. Yes, I agree with that. That is a very articulate way of describing the the future that I see some of as well. So, thank you so much for sharing that. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll have you on in the future, and we can talk more about some of what you're doing with with that being a global citizen of the world um, more and more. And, if my circle and our network definitely uh, are doing that. So I think that's probably a worthy conversation, maybe to get a few people on who are doing that and do a group uh, interview. I think that could be a really great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me, James. Um, for people who want to find you, where is the best place for them to kind of connect with all of you you've got out there for who should reach out? Uh, like most citizens of the world, I'm everywhere on every social platform you can possibly imagine. Um, my home online is um, jameskemp.co. My area of expertise is really working with services and information businesses to help them build leads, leverage, and ultimately market leadership. So I work with six and seven figure businesses who have you know, achieved some level of success in, in, in market presence, um, but want to build leverage in there in the way they, they both build and, and deliver to their clients as well. So I'd uh, love to hear from anybody if they, if they need help with any of those things. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. To download the latest episode and find the transcript and various resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at foh.show. That's F-O-H as in Future of Humanity and show as in S-H-O-W. You can also, via our website, contact me with any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. So please do reach out. Now, if you haven't already subscribed, you can find the links to subscribe on all your favorite platforms at foh.show slash subscribe. That's foh.show slash subscribe. And more importantly, if you'd like to continue the conversation from today's episode and connect with other listeners, then you can join our free community at foh.show slash community, foh.show slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.